Skin and Sass, the podcast talking all things skin to the side of sass. Proudly brought to you by KGA Body. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Skin and Sass. I'm Andy Paulson, and I have with me, as usual, Kelly George. And we have a special guest on episode today, which is Dial a Derm, the sequel. <laughs> today, we're talking all things rosacea with the very cool Dr. Ryan DeCruz, dermatologist. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for coming on with us today. Hi, ladies. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm genuinely very honoured to be here. Ah, we're so excited to have you. Um, We did a uh, Dialoderm ep with another dermatologist in one of our earlier seasons. It was really popular and we've been wanting to talk about rosacea for for quite a while. Um, I'd love to learn more about it and obviously we knew that we needed to get a dermatologist and Kelly said, I have the perfect guy (laughs) for this episode and so here we are and we're very honoured to have you as well. So I might hand over to Kelly to give a little introduction to yourself and then we'll jump right into the questions. Yeah, so, thanks Kelly. again, Ryan. I hear all the time that I am the busiest person on the planet, but Ryan is even busier. He's all over the place. <laughs> he's talking for everybody. He's presenting for everybody. And the reason is because he is such a cool guy and he's so easy to work with because he knows his stuff. He's so knowledgeable. He's so, you know, clever and smart, but he's also just a down-to-earth, genuine person who's really good to work but with. But I think you're right. You've got to have somebody, not just the knowledge, but somebody who can explain it in a way that's accessible and understandable to a broad audience. So clearly well, you've you got so much. the skills. Very, very kind words. <laughs> very kind words. And, and Kelly, the, the thing to say is that I, I think this is why we get on so well. I think we're, we're very similar and our approach to patient care and education and the passion that you have for your work, uh, it's, it's so inspiring. So I, I really take lead from you, to be honest. Oh, gosh, we love having you as a guest. <laughs> so, um, so, Ryan, we are here today to talk about rosacea and all things dermatology related. But before we get into that, maybe a couple of background questions for you, um, just about you and your practice, really. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about your practice Southern Dermatology in Melbourne. Yeah, I'd love to. Well, thank you. So, yeah, as, as you guys have mentioned, I'm a, a what we would call a board-certified dermatologist. That's what they call us in America. Uh, that means a, a fellow of the Australasian College of Dermatologists. So after medical school, you go off and do a couple of years in the hospital, and then you do a four-year training program, intensive training program, while you're working and studying simultaneously to achieve the, the qualifications of a fellow of the Australasian College of dermatologists. So we're a pretty small college. I think Australia-wide, there's uh, only about 500 of us uh, servicing, you know, the entire nation. So it is, we are very small and we recognise there's a huge demand for dermatologists. Of course, it all comes down to funding and to training of the positions. But I was lucky enough to get on and I started my training in 2012. Uh, And fast forward to 2023, I'm really, really lucky to have a wonderful team here in the inner southeast of Melbourne, in a suburb called Murrumbina. It's just before Chadston, which is a big suburb known for a shopping centre. And uh, we've got four dermatologists practising with us, a few nurses, some dermal therapists, and we've got a really wonderful team. I absolutely love what I do. I, I feel so, so lucky to be a dermatologist practicing in, in Australia. I get to see and meet all wonderful different types of people uh, from all ages, backgrounds, ethnicities, uh, genders, and we can treat a, a variety of skin conditions, including inflammatory conditions like acne and rosacea, eczema, psoriasis, uh, hair loss, nail diseases, and of course, being in Australia, skin cancer. So we do a lot of skin cancer work too. Yeah, wow. So that's a big one. And um, so 
that's that's really um, good to understand. And obviously, there's a huge amount of um, training that needs to go into becoming a dermatologist. When you first started out doing medicine, did you always know that you wanted to go into dermatology, that that was the specialisation? Or how did you, um, I guess, get into it initially? No, I, I definitely didn't know. Um, you don't get really taught all that much dermatology as a medical student. It's a very, very small part of the curriculum. So I think I was really inspired as when I went off and did some research, when I was trying to decide what I wanted to specialise in. Um, we, when I went to uni, we had an opportunity to do a, a Bachelor of Medical Science or a research degree uh, that was sandwiched in between our, our medical degree. And that's when I thought, oh, do you know what? I'll go and give this area of medicine a try because one, I don't know too much about it. Two, from what I from what I do know about it and the people I've met who are practicing, they're really happy people. They're, they're very friendly and they seem to be able to make a, a huge um, difference to people's mm. quality of life. Um, and it's also an area, I guess, in medicine that not many people know much about. So if you go and ask the average um, you know, anaesthetist or radiologist or even a general practitioner or ED physician, when it comes to skin, they'll all often say, oh, I really don't know yeah. very much. Um, and when I was at school, I studied a couple of classical languages, um, Latin and ancient Greek, and they were, they were, it was the same. It was like this niche sort of area, but really fascinating, um, you know, lots of history. It was a lot of our modern day languages, including English, are based on these two languages. So I sort of had this area of, of expertise that I absolutely loved, I loved learning about. And so DERM is very similar. It's sort of quite small, mm. but actually you realise that, Everyone's got skin. Everyone right. has very skin problems <laughs> at some point in yeah. time. And it's very surprising the number of doctors who will come or bring their children or loved ones to see me. So it's yeah. Yeah, something a little bit similar. That's so nice. And I love that, um, you know, that patient-centric care and that, that wide range of conditions that you listed that you treat. And, of course, being in Australia, skin cancer is very high and on, on the agenda of things that we need to look out for. So, um, so thank you for that. So maybe we'll pass over to Kelly now to focus on the topic at hand being rosacea mm -hmm. um, and, I guess, how we came to get to this, get point. To this point. So why, like, why rosacea, Kelly? Why do we choose that particular topic for... For this discussion? Well, I mean, I see a lot of it in my clinic myself. Mm -hmm. And I think it comes back to what Ryan was just saying about how there's only 500 dermatologists. Yeah. Like, there are all these people with skin. Everyone's got skin. I love that. <laughs> it's your largest <laughs> organ, is it not? You need to trademark that, Ryan. <laughs> everyone's got skin. Yeah, I mean, for sure. <laughs> so everyone's got skin. But yeah, there's a lot of rosacea out there. And um, Ryan and I have spoken about this before at events. And it, it definitely seems to me, and although I'm definitely not here to bag out anyone else in the medical profession, um, rosacea is chronically misdiagnosed and or mis treated okay. um, afterwards, after it's been misdiagnosed, or even if they do diagnose it as rosacea, I'm finding, and this just this could just be my regional location, and we'll let Ryan talk through that as well, but even when they the GP does say, oh, look, I think that's rosacea, they quite often then prescribe the incorrect drug, mm. and the poor patient just goes round and round and round in circles, and it's very difficult for me in my position where I'm unable to prescribe the right things for them and mm. I'm also unable to go, hey, go and see this dermatologist downtown because we have two. They're booked out about eight months in really? advance. Really? Wow. And in addition to that, both of them um, either misdiagnose or mistreat <laughs> this because I think maybe there's a little bit of an old school treatment plan for rosacea, which if you've been a dermatologist for 40 years, which these people have, maybe they haven't evolved with what mm. they're treating as well. So I guess 
you know, do you see that as well in, you know, you're in Melbourne, so a bigger town, but do you have a lot of patients that come in that have been through their GP and they finally end up in your office and they've just kind of gone on that cycle of being misdiagnosed or mistreated? Yeah, oh, look, absolutely. I agree with everything everything that you're saying. I think um, rosaceous, despite the fact that it's actually a very, very common condition and maybe, as you say, certain uh, good practitioners can diagnose it, Treatments have evolved over the last 40 years, and it's really critical that we as a medical profession evolve with it, mm. um, and that's certainly not always the case. Um, and look, there are some treatments that were tried and tested 40 years ago that still work, but then there are many that really we've got much better offerings for. And and I think something that we, we see as increasingly important is the need for really good skincare. And this is not an area where a lot of physicians so general practitioners or even many dermatologists know much about mm. so it's it's kind of a bit uh, frustrating because we we know that this is a a cosmetic condition in on the one hand and needs good cosmetic treatments but it is also very much a medical uh, condition that requires very specific uh, and I guess well-balanced medical treatments as well. And when when the patient doesn't get the best of both worlds, as you say, they often just go around in circles. So could we, um, I know we skipped straight to it being misdiagnosed, but maybe Ryan, you could give us a super simple explanation for people listening who are not quite sure what rosacea is, like what what is it firstly, and, and maybe some of the telltale signs. Yeah, this is a really good question because it's important to set the scene. I think the thing that's very important about rosacea is that it's a spectrum, actually. So there are some people who may only get flushing and blushing on what we call the vasomotor features of rosacea, where they have a bright red face uh, and that they may flush or blush easily. For example, when they have alcohol, uh, hot drinks, coffee and tea, when they're particularly embarrassed or uh, emotional or um, certain other food triggers, or just in a, in a hot environment. And then you have the other end of the spectrum where people get lots of spots and they're getting sort of acne-like spots. We call them papules and pustules, sometimes even deeper nodules or cysts. And people can often have overlapping features of these types of rosacea. So the erythematotelangiectatic rosacea, or ETR, which is when they're just red, all the way down to the papular pustula or even the phimatous rosacea. Now, phimatous rosacea is the one that a lot of people can recognise but aren't really sure what it, what it is. And it's when people get a slightly misshapen nose or a bulbous uh, nose. Yes. Hmm. So we call that rhinophyma. And so that's on the spectrum of rosacea as well. Um, and finally, there's even a form of rosacea that can affect the eyes, which we call ocular rosacea, where people can get dry, gritty, uncomfortable eyes. Um, and, you know, bloodshot eyes. Mm -hmm. And this quite commonly will occur within in patients who have either forms of rosacea. So the, the thing that, that makes it tricky, I guess, is that there are, it can look uh, different in different people. And it's just about getting that pattern recognition up and understanding the, the common features of it. Um, and so, yeah, patients with rosacea will quite commonly have very dry and sensitive skin. Mm -hmm. So a, a very common question I'll ask is, you know, do skincare products irritate you easily? Do you have allergic reactions quite commonly? And, and generally you'll find that they do. Um, and you'll find that people's rosacea can change over time. So it might start off being more papulopustular, so little spots or acne-like spots, and then become erythematotelangiectatic so where they get those the red spider veins and broken capillaries and enlarged capillaries on their face 
So yeah, I hope that kind of explains. Yeah, in that's that was a really stuff. really good explanation, and I really hadn't appreciated how broad a condition it is. Yeah, so. and I think talking about the the spectrum the way you did kind of does explain, I guess, why it can, is so easily misdiagnosed, and. So I guess for our patients out there who have potentially been misdiagnosed, when you have a patient present and they've sort of been through that cycle with their GP, what most commonly do you find that rosacea is being mistaken for um, out there? Yeah. So I think just what we call acne vulgaris or what most people call, you know, teenage acne or hormonal acne is probably a common, um, you know, variant or something that people will, you know, often misdiagnose it as. And the truth is that rosacea's full name is acne rosacea. So it is an acne form condition, which means where you get inflammation of the, the hair follicles and the oil glands. And they can look similar, but there are distinct differences, both in terms of the causative you know, problems, the etiology of these conditions, but also how you manage them. So I think, you know, the common acne is, is a common uh, problem, but also conditions such as perioral dermatitis or POD, mm-hmm. uh, which is, is very a very, very common condition and may coexist with rosacea, but again, is quite a distinct condition and needs sort of different therapies. They're probably the top two. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have a whole lot of conditions in dermatology that present with a classic red face, such as eczema or allergic yeah. contact dermatitis, you know, seborrheic dermatitis, which is that reaction to a yeast, uh, and also good old sun damage, right? So um, actinic keratoses and, and sun damage red faces is, again, something that will quite commonly be either mis- mistaken for rosacea or vice versa. People will I miss feel like the, the more you talk, the more conditions I'm adding to my own face in terms of self-diagnosis. <laughs> don't, I'm like, don't I think any, I have that. <laughs> don't give yeah, Annie I mean, any information. She's the worst. I'm the worst. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is the, also the problem is that um, people don't read textbooks, right? Or skin doesn't read textbooks. So you may not have just one condition. You may have overlapping conditions mm. or two or three, and that's where you need to tease out uh, the features of each and, and I guess tr- manage them appropriately. Yeah, the, the sun damage one is interesting because I had a patient the other day who, who you know, it did to me appear to be rosacea quite clearly and her doctor had just said, no, 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 you're just sunburnt, you just need to put sunscreen on. And sunburnt? Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't even give her anything. So, you know, when a patient has been misdiagnosed incorrectly and then they're obviously given something by their GP to try and treat the incorrect problem, let's just say they think it's eczema or let's just say they think it's dermatitis, perioral dermatitis, what can go wrong with the person who has rosacea who's now using these incorrect drugs? Yeah, great, great question. So first and foremost, if, if someone's been given, for example, a topical steroid cream, whether that's 1% hydrocortisone or something a little bit stronger, um, what you will find is that with, with time, it will actually only thin the skin more, making their blood vessels more obvious, they're more likely to flare but it can then actually trigger other conditions such as POD. So perioral dermatitis, which has got the word dermatitis in it, but isn't actually eczema, um, can actually flare up once this topical steroid is withdrawn. So you get on this cycle of actually giving the incorrect treatment for the incorrect condition, but then the skin becomes somewhat dependent on it. So it can get really messy. Um, the other problem, again, is actually more to do with skincare. When people are given the incorrect skincare for rosacea, it can be really triggering they can get very um, angry, red, inflamed, dry, itchy, sore skin because it hasn't been appropriately managed and the, the recommendations they've been given have been totally off. 
um, and and that can yeah actually make the condition a whole lot worse. What are some of the ingredients in skincare that are going to trigger rosacea? When you say inappropriate skincare, what are the things that you're looking to avoid? So I generally think of rosacea as a skin barrier problem. There is the, the skin barrier isn't functioning problem properly to to keep moisture in and to um, repair itself. When patients are given excessively exfoliating skincare, whether mm-hmm. it be cleansers or or um, serums, this can be quite damaging. So certain retinols, alpha hydroxy acids, beta hydroxy acids, uh, in my opinion, should be avoided because we really need to rehydrate the skin, repair the skin barrier, so that it's not as dry and sensitive. I think that's probably the most the most common problems. And also certain sunscreens that don't suit uh, that patient. So sunscreens, particularly chemical sunscreens, um, have a high degree of allergy associated with them. So it's about choosing really hypoallergenic, lightweight sunscreens or mineral sunscreens that are going to be slightly less allergenic. Mm, perfect. Um, so my next question, and I and I might go back to skincare in a little bit, but in addition to, okay, we've, we've finally gone and visited Ryan or another great dermatologist, rosacea has been correctly diagnosed and correctly treated. We talk a lot about rosacea being a chronic condition. And I think sometimes patients, even when they go, look, I've got rosacea, but it's chronic. It's never going to go away. It's never going to get better. I mean, I don't think that's entirely true. What type of, I guess, timelines can someone expect if they have been treated correctly with their rosacea? What is the risk of reoccurrence? I mean, just tell me what the journey might be like for someone who's actually working with someone like yourself and it's being treated and managed appropriately. Yeah, for sure. So I think you're totally right. It is a long-term chronic condition, which means that I can't cure it. No one mm. no one has a magic cure for this condition. We, and we can talk about that another time, but there are so many different theories as to what actually causes it to begin with. But the truth is that most people will need long-term therapy and the therapy when i use that word it sounds a bit scary and, and intense and it doesn't need to be it might be as simple as a prescription cream used a couple of times a week forever it may be very low doses of certain medications or it might be laser touch-ups but in general terms if someone has both what we call the inflammatory type of rosacea with little spots as well as the background redness and flushing my general approach is to get the inflammatory rosacea under control which generally takes up to about 12 weeks and then you maintain or you reduce the background redness. Um, Redness is often multifactorial in these patients. So inflammation contributes to redness, as does the vasomotor uh, component, that flushing and blushing the broken capillaries. So for some people, when you just adequately manage them medically with either medical oral tablets or creams, prescription creams, their rosacea improves up to 75 or 90% with by the three to four month mark. For other people, they come in to see me and they've got no inflammatory component. They really need to go straight to vascular laser and good skincare. So they may, you know, get better even even quicker than that. For I'd say for the majority of patients, it's a combination of the two. Yeah. Okay. So let's go to skincare then. So obviously, if I had a patient and they had been treated correctly with their derm and they were, had all the sort of medical side of the things under control, they could come to me. We can do a little bit of laser. And of course, I've got a, a range of skincare that I would prescribe and they could use because it, it would be it works for rosacea patients. It's good for the microbiome, all that sort of stuff. But let's just say we've got some patients who are listening and who have maybe seen their derm but aren't a cosmetic patient. They're not really going to spend money on, 
medical grade skincare, but they need some skincare that they can go and get from the chemist. What can they get? Yeah, I think that's a great question because as you say, not everyone wants to or prepared to or is that enthusiastic about spending a lot of money on skincare? And I really don't believe it's necessary for everyone. Mm. I believe that if you want to spend money on skincare, you can, but I d- never sort of promise that it's going to be a thousand times better than a cheaper you know, product yeah. that you can get elsewhere. And I often steer people into investing in treatments like laser or mm-hmm. cosmetic injectables ahead of skincare if that's what's going to get them better results long term. But in general terms, I, I really like soap-free, fragrance-free uh, cleansers that are going to be hydrating, naturally hydrating to the skin. So um, cream cleansers and oil cleansers will probably be rate up there higher than, say, more foaming cleansers for me. Mm-hmm. And there are various brands that do this. Um, I'll mention a few. This is mm-hmm. obviously in no way sponsored, so you know you, people can choose what they like. Um, I am obviously a big fan of the CeraVe range, which is very, very good for sensitive skin. But the La Roche range or Rose Posay and Aven are also very good products. And these are all the reason I choose to kind of recommend them or I work with some of these brands is because I'm very confident that they're not going to irritate people's skin. They are very minimalist in their formula and they're very hydrating and repairing that, that skin barrier. So you can get all of these from chemists you know around Australia and you don't need to be spending a lot of money so a gentle cleanser uh, and a really nice hydrating moisturizer to me they're the two top two things that patients with rosacea need again the ingredients that we should be looking for would be ceramides shea butter um, and niacinamide or vitamin uh, b3 the idea is that these are going to again help that skin barrier and be naturally anti-inflammatory Um, And I really encourage patients to moisturize twice per day when they have rosacea. Um, And I have a bit of a a phrase, which is when it comes to acne and when it comes to rosacea, there's no such thing as over moisturizing. So it's all about kind of getting that hydration in, trapping it in and soothing the skin barrier because they're often quite inflamed and irritated. Mm -hmm. So it's about choosing skincare that's going to be respectful of that. That's so interesting. I am a chronic over-moisturiser, I would say. I'm addicted to moisturiser. I go through bucket loads of it because I have some of these conditions. So that is music to my ears that you can't moisturise too much because <laughs> I, I bathe really... in it. All right. So before we get into the sassy minute, there's one more question and then I've got a couple of little listener questions. So mm. I know that this varies greatly from person to person, but in your experience, are there things that you can recommend that for most rosacea patients um, that they can do to help avoid flare-ups? Yes, I think moisturising definitely and the use of a light SPF daily. I think those two things are what's going to help the skin barrier and work as natural anti-inflammatories. We know when the skin's dehydrated, the inflammatory state is higher. So regular moisturising and sunscreen are your top two friends and they are lifelong. Okay. And then things to avoid? I think over cleansing Mm -hmm. and dabbling with too much, too many actives. I think Mm -hmm. people who really invest a lot in skincare are looking for anti-aging therapies, which is all well and good. But we have to respect the fact that rosacea prone skin is very sensitive and may not tolerate a lot of the the skincare products that are out there. And in in that case, would you steer people towards, like you say, more the laser and the injectables as being more appropriate? Often I do. 
unless you have someone like Kelly who's really switched on in terms of how to uh, appropriately and professionally combine the two and will tailor a program what uh, to, to the person's need. What I have concerns about is when people go online and they're really not sure, they'll listen to you know influencer A yeah. or influencer B and say, oh, that person's got amazing skin, I'll use that retinol product and that alpha hydroxy acid and you know this, and it just gets too much and their skin is really unhappy. That's good yeah. to know. And um, just one final question about triggers. So you mentioned before that people can be triggered by foods that they eat as well and alcohol. Do you work with any other, like, do you do you work with any other type of specialty when you're managing patients that have those triggers? It's a really good question. I'm so glad you brought it up because it's very, very common for me to be asked about the relationship between the gut and the, the skin and rosacea. And this is an area of great interest to me. It's something that I think we're still seeing a huge amount of research being done. And I, I certainly don't have the answers fully. What I do, uh, I guess, to, be, to try to be as holistic as possible is I really take a good um, dietary history from the patient and to try to determine whether there are particular foods that will trigger their skin. So for some people, it's dairy. And they'll know that whenever they do consume more in terms of, say, milks or ice creams or, or even yogurt, Jeez. that they'll notice a bit of a flare. <laughs> mm. For others, it's sugar. So, and we know that sugar can trigger a lot of these things. And we know that both dairy and sugar can influence our cortisol levels and our insulin levels, which can then indirectly trigger skin. Going beyond that, I think it's less clear. And I think that I really ask people to keep a good diary and to notice what they are consuming and whether their skin flares. And it might not flare immediately. It might be two to three days later. And often just to listen to their own body. I do have a problem with people who then unfortunately go off and spend potentially thousands of dollars trying to do elimination diets, yeah. um, you know, all these supplements, naturopathy, et cetera, et cetera, and, and really get nowhere. And I, I don't believe in, you know, really harsh exclusion, exclusion diets either. So it's about finding a happy medium and just listening to your, your body. And, and then if there's someone who clearly has gut issues that I think needs further investigation, absolutely, I'll refer them to um, gastroenterologists usually or back to their GPs who often can give them really good guidance. That was Perfect. great. Thank you. Okay, so a couple of listener questions. Most of the things that people sent through were already answered with my questions that I had for you. But had someone say, can it randomly show up in your 20s? I think I know the answer, but... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It can randomly show up really at any age. Yeah. I have patients as young as probably 17, 18, and as old as 78, so at any time. Oh, really? And so they could have lived a majority of their life without having rosacea and all of a sudden at some point, rosacea. Yeah. Wow. Hormonal changes, menopause, um, ah. you know, changing environment. Some people might live in a different climate where, mm. you know, that the, the humidity in the air or the lack of UV were enough to kind of keep their genetic predisposition at bay. But then they come to, say, Melbourne or, or to somewhere else and then suddenly, boom, it comes out. So 100%. That's so interesting. Well, that's actually yeah. fascinating because that's my next listener question. Can it start randomly when you move to a new place? And then there was a second part, which was, and if so, if I left again, would it go away? Or once it's triggered, <laughs> is it now there? <laughs> yeah, good question. So um, absolutely. So I think humidity or lack thereof and um, ultraviolet radiation are probably the most common things. So when people, uh, I'm going to use Melbourne, obviously that's where I live. 
but there's Melbourne is a very dry climate and over winter people's skin conditions generally flare up something shocking so their eczema their psoriasis their rosacea all can flare up and a lot of these patients that I see who kind of experience it for the first time have come from more temperate areas maybe Southeast Asia or Europe um, or even Queensland and they've come down to Melbourne and yeah, it all it all turns really badly bad mm. um the answer to the second part is like, you know, will it go away? Well, it may. It may actually resolve or improve when when you move back to a, a better environment. Ultimately, I, I explain rosacea is that people have a genetic predisposition to it and that it's a perfect storm of in both environmental factors and personal factors that might bring it out at whatever age it, it appears. So right. if in doubt, ask your GP for a referral to see a dermatologist and it sounds like, you know, you can really have that in-depth assessment and, and work out an appropriate treatment plan. Yes, although I also think that, as we said, it is hard and I acknowledge it's, it's hard to get in to see us. It's not, I, I work a lot. I've got, I've got young kids, and, but I, I still do five to six days of consulting a week. And, and it's, it might be just impossible. I think that, you know, whilst it's about getting educated and there are really good uh, online educational uh, platforms. I think one's uh, called sort of uh, Rosacea um, Beyond or Beyond Rosacea or something like that online. It's even on Instagram. It's about seeing um, even dermal clinicians, registered nurses in the aesthetics industry who know what they're talking about, who come highly recommended and, and getting sort of clued up. And sometimes, as, as Kelly will, I'm sure, sort of um, reiterate, sometimes it's about being... Uh, not pushy, but fairly assertive and saying, look, I'm pretty confident that this is the condition I have. I tick all of these boxes. Um, this is the sort of medication or treatments that I'm looking for. Because sometimes you need to actually drive your own management. You have to be, you have to advocate for ourselves. And that's mm, what I, yeah. I mean, that's what see. I wanted to do this app for, because I was like, you know what, we can't, you can't help everyone because you're one man. Um, but what we can do is empower people with this knowledge so that they can, because, you know, a lot of people, particularly um, the older generations, they're like, oh, my doctor said, and they just... And, and then you take that at face value test, yeah. and you say, well, you know, they're a medical professional, that's what it is. But yeah. as you're saying, you yeah. know, the, the knowledge and the experience of these conditions, it evolves. And so, you know, we it, it's good to be aware. And I think that we've covered, you've covered so much ground. I have personally learnt so much. Mm. So thank you. I really, really appreciate you sharing all of that knowledge. Um, I think we get that to go to the minute. fun stuff right. now, So Ryan. I don't know if you know what the sassy minute <laughs> is, Ryan, and it's usually about a sassy five minutes, so just bear with us. <laughs> but basically we play little games at the end just to kind of finish it all off so it's not so serious but i'm not sure if you uh, keep up with the kardashians no i know, I know <laughs> well you know he does work six one days a week and have young kids and travel for work you know so, so <laughs> let me let me fill you in chloe kardashian who's one of the the sisters recently had a melanoma re removed from her face and they showed it on the show and it was quite it was quite a large melanoma and she was a pretty yeah big, on her face pretty big surgery <laughs> anyway I read an article that said that in America there's been a surge of younger people getting skin checks and you know finding melanomas just because of the awareness that she created for this so I thought that was really cool so what I thought we might be able to do with you is play a game and highlight other celebrities that have skin issues now I don't expect you to know the answers but you can have a guess so we've got three skin conditions and we've got three celebrities and you've got to pick who's got what. I have no idea by the way so I'm with you I have no idea Kelly's done this so it'll be interesting to see if we agree. So our three celebrities are Brad Pitt, Kim Kardashian and Cameron Diaz and our yeah. three skin conditions are rosacea, 
eczema and psoriasis. So they were Brad Pitt, Kim Kardashian and Cameron Diaz and rosacea, eczema and psoriasis. Do you you know? Uh, (laughs) I have a feeling Kim Kardashian suffers from psoriasis. Yeah, I actually do know that one. She talks about it on the show. She does, doesn't she? Yes, do Even though you one. don't watch it. <laughs> I, I think you might be lying to us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I promise. If I, I wish I had that, that sort of time. But I, I um, um, now, when so it comes to... So the others were Brad, Brad Pitt and Cameron Diaz. Yeah. So I'm going to... Um, these are pure guesses. I really have yeah. no idea. I'm going <laughs> to say Brad Pitt might suffer from some eczema. And Cameron Diaz, rosacea. Yes. Oh, well really? Done. Oh, wow. Good guess. I didn't know that one. Well done. That's actually very clever, Ryan. All right. Last little bit that we're going to do, which we're asking all of our guests this season. Okay. So it's a yay or nay. It's the first thing that comes to mind. And I need to know if you would spend your money on these three things. So if you had $400 in your pocket and you could spend it on anything, would you spend it on an LED face mask, yay or nay? An at-home one. No. Same. Excellent. Okay, next one. At-home dermal roller. No. <laughs> and finally, would you have a hydrofacials treatment? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Nice. Okay. So hydrofacials are an interesting one. I think you've got probably people in both camps. But I think a, a, a good hydrofacial occasionally, there's nothing wrong with it. I just, I, I suspect that you're not going to get any great long-term results out of it. Um, but if you need but it's to a feel good. De- yeah, feel good, declog for, you know, uh, sort of exfoliate for an event or something. I, I don't see any problem with it. Kelly's you- looking so smug right now because you basically <laughs> have just said what she said two episodes ago. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Same page, Ryan. Same page. Okay. Good. So just quickly before we wrap up, where can people find you again, Ryan? Great. So I'm located in Murrumbina at a practice called Southern Dermatology. Uh, so just in the inner southeast of, of Melbourne. And your social handle, your Instagram handles again? Yeah. So it's uh, Dr. Ryan Dermatologist and Southern Dermatology underscore Melbourne. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Ryan. So, um, yeah, that's that such a great comment. was so it's great. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've had a lot of fun and I hope, <laughs> I hope it's been educational and I, I look forward to doing it again in the future. Yeah, yes. oh, absolutely. Please, please. We will definitely have you on again. And thanks for listening, everybody, to Dial the Derm Skin and Sets. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Ryan. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye